grace and peace to you and welcome to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. A church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and find it to the full. And that's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. And today we continue in a series that's called, Called, Here Am I, Send Me, based on Isaiah chapter 6. And today, Pastor Sean Azaro reminds you that you are called, you have a purpose for the kingdom. Isaiah responded to his calling at the altar of sacrifice, which involved a burning piece of coal, which set him apart. We need to be set apart from this present dark culture. Reallife.org has this full message, sermon notes, and series available for free. But if you feel led right now to bless this listener-supported radio ministry, then please do. There's a place to give at reallife.org. It's part two of the message, The Burning Coal. Pastor Sean is teaching from Isaiah 6 and 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's time for Reaching for Real Life Radio. It is holy. It is set apart for his purpose. It is his from that moment forward. So the coal touching the lips of the prophet made a powerful statement. One was just plainly stated in the passage. You are forgiven. But there's another statement that was made. You are forgiven and you are mine. You are forgiven and you are mine. You are now holy to the Lord. Your lips and your person, your heart. Isaiah, you are holy to the Lord. And he would have understood it immediately because the coal off the altar, he would have known what the altar meant. He would have known that's the altar of sacrifice. He confesses his sin. The sin is atoned for by this touch. Your sins are forgiven. This has taken away your guilt. But implicit in that act is, and you are mine. You are forgiven, and you are mine. He was consecrated and holy before the Lord, set apart for his purpose. And I want to suggest to you, every single one of us, when we go to the altar, you know what the altar is for us? It's the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the altar where our sacrifice was made. When we accept Christ as Savior and he forgives our sin, there is that same idea of your sins have been brought to the altar. You are forgiven. But understand something. You are mine. You are mine. Some people are like, well, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't hear all that. I just, I just heard about, man, Jesus died to forgive my sins. And, and it, didn't his grace just take care of all that? And kind of now I can go do what I want? Absolutely a gross misunderstanding of the gospel. The whole idea, you know, we use this theological term when we talk about substitutionary atonement. It means someone else was a substitute and paid my debt. That's what that means. Jesus was the substitutionary atonement for us. In the Old Testament, that lamb, that spotless lamb, would be a substitutionary atonement for the sins of the people. But they understood clearly, that's my place. I'm the one supposed to be on the altar. I'm the one who deserves the death penalty. And when we come to the cross, we understand, whoa, whoa, that's my cross. Jesus took my cross. He's paying my penalty. He is the sacrifice for my sin. That's not his cross. That's mine. And he took it for me. The sacrifice took the place and represented the life of the one bringing it. And so Christ died on our behalf, but understand, that brings to light the New Testament theology that the Apostle Paul taught. Look what he talked in Colossians 3, 1 through 3. He said, since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We understand this idea of being raised with Christ, don't we? In baptism, we understand Romans 6 tells us that when we are baptized, literally it's like, it's like you died with Christ and we're buried with Christ in baptism. We're buried with him. The old person who you knew before Christ, the old Shanazar, that person's dead, buried with Christ because my sins are buried with him. But a new person is made alive in him 
anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has passed away, new has come. So there's that resurrection. Baptism represents the death and the resurrection, death of the old nature, resurrection of the new nature in Christ. So that's what Paul's talking about. Since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Why? For you have died. Wait a minute, but I'm right here. I'm fine. No, no. You have died. That old person who was lost in sin has died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. My old self dies with him, but this new life filled with his presence, forgiven and set free, is raised with him. See, Christ died for us. But the scripture says now our life is hidden in him. We live in him and he lives through us by his Holy Spirit in us. See, this is the secret of being holy to the Lord and being set apart for his kingdom. And the prophet learned a powerful lesson, that illustration of the altar and the coal. He knew exactly what was happening. That coal touches me. I'm forgiven, but I'm holy to the Lord. And he understood something about his calling. And I want to suggest every one of us has a calling and has the very same implications. If you're taking notes, write this down. Calling isn't just an invitation to serve. It is the declaration that I am set apart as his. See, calling is the declaration that I am set apart as his. It's not just calling to an assignment. It's a calling to him. I'm his. I belong to him. See, that's the idea that the Apostle Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 12. We love this passage of scripture, but I want you to take a look at it in light of this set apart, this holy unto the Lord, this declaration that I am his. Look what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says. Paul writes, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, really important phrase, because of the mercy of God that you've seen and you've experienced, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. He's urging us to offer our bodies, our actual life, our hands, our feet, our days, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Make note of that phrase. We'll talk about that in a minute. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is or your calling, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Man, people all the time talk to me and they want to know how to discern the will of God. Yeah, I want to know what God's will is. You want to know how God's will is? Become a living sacrifice. <laughs> See, it starts there. Oh, I don't know about that. I just want to know his will for like, because I've got some time. I've got some free time. I want to know what's God's will for Wednesdays between, you know, 6.30 and 9.30, because that's when I want God's will. Other than that, I'm pretty, I'm I'm booked. That fails to understand. That that is a miscommunication on my part. If, If you think that's okay, I'm here to help set the record straight. There is this sense whereby we belong to him. And in that place, this place of living sacrifice, this place where we understand and we begin to discern our calling and we begin to discern the voice of God. I want to suggest this Romans passage is the key and lays out some key understandings regarding being holy or being set apart. Here's a few things. First, being set apart means my life is not my own. It means my life is not my own. That's what the phrase living sacrifice means. It means I belong to him. You realize we are all, we all belong to him twice. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you belong to God twice. One, I belong to him by virtue of the fact he's my creator. He created me. He created me. He made me. I owe my life 
I owe the air I breathe. I owe it all to him. If we believe anything that we talk about here, anything in the word of God, we understand. He is the creator. He created all things. He gave us life. In him we live and move and have our being. So I'm his. But then when mankind sold ourselves into the slavery of sin, and when we walked kind of in the footsteps of Father Adam and Mother Eve, and we were sinners, Jesus Christ gave his life and bought us back. So literally, we are his twice. My life belongs to him. I don't have to die like Jesus did, but I do have to be a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. This idea of belonging to him is so specific and significant in the New Testament. Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, I'm picking up here at verse 19. He says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit who comes and dwells in us are bodies. So this is our, the physical part of us that lives and walks and moves is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. He makes this crystal clear. Jesus bought you, redeemed you. And you are not your own. He lives in you. I am his. He says it in chapter 7 like this. He really hits on this theme in the next chapter as well. He says, the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. He's talking to actual literal slaves. And he's saying, even if you find yourself as a slave, when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you begin to understand something bigger is going on. You are not simply a victim of your circumstances. You are set free in Christ. Yeah, but I'm still a slave. But he began, he, he's teaching that there is a way to overcome, a way to walk and live differently, even if you are a victim of the social injustice we call slavery. But look what he goes on and says. He says, similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. He's like, you need to understand something. If you think you're free and you've become a follower of Jesus Christ and you've begun to walk in him and been filled with his spirit, you are now Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human being. Well, we would go, well, no way. I've never become a slave of a human being. That's ridiculous. Well, we don't have the institution called slavery any longer. But I want to suggest we become slaves to human beings all the time. Anytime we become the slaves of someone else's opinion of us, and so we start jumping through the hoops to please them, we're letting ourselves become a slave. Anytime we become slaves to the highest bidder, and we will compromise everything we are to the highest bidder, we become slaves to men. And there's all kinds of ways that we can lay our lives down at somebody else's feet and be jumping through hoops for them. And, and Paul's saying, no, no, you're, you're the slave to one, and that's Christ. And, and I'm telling you, he was serious about this. He introduced himself that way. He used the phrase bondservant. But he would say, I, Paul, bondservant of Jesus Christ, meaning I'm the slave of Jesus Christ. And every single one of us has to understand that same idea. And let me just say to you, some of you are like, wow, this is, a, this is kind of heavy and hard, Sean. I, I just wanted to come to church, and then, you know, then we're going to the lake. I didn't really, I got the boat in the back of the car in the parking lot, and now I've got all this to deal with. You've got to understand something. We were created to be filled with him. We were created to walk in him. Being the bondservant of Jesus Christ, being his possession, is where our heart is found, where that abundant life that Jesus talked about is found, where our highest destiny and purpose is found, where our gifts align with our joy. And 
that is the place of fulfillment. Trying to do it under your own ownership will never accomplish that. You will always be unsatisfied. You will always be striving. And this is when we take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Azaro, a listener-supported ministry of River City Community Church in this message called The Burning Coal. The series is called Called, Here Am I, Send Me, which is available right now on the sermon page at reallife.org. And while you're there, if you've been blessed by this teaching, your gift of any amount helps this radio ministry continue to help others. Just find the Give tab at reallife.org. And Pastor Sean Azaro, now an author, invites you to check out his brand new book. 302 Books, a division of Salem Media Group, presents A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life, Rediscovering the Gift of the Spirit, authored by Sean Azaro, pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Growing up in and around Pentecostal churches, I really learned to appreciate the role of the Spirit in the life of the believer. But I also saw what I considered to be imbalance and excess in some of our churches when it came to how we taught about the infilling. Now available at Amazon.com, Sean Azaro shares his most requested teaching and radio broadcast series in a devotional form, encouraging you to embrace the Spirit-filled life. I wrote in a devotional style to encourage readers to examine the Scripture with fresh eyes and make room for the Lord to speak about the role of the Spirit in our lives. The goal of the whole book is to simply make you hungry for more of the Spirit. Order your copy of A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life by Sean Azaro today at Amazon or reachingforreallife.org. And now the conclusion to the message, The Burning Coal. This is Reaching for Real Life Radio. This idea that I am His is huge. It changes everything. And and it's inherent in our salvation. I've I've had people, you know, there used to be a teaching that said, okay, you know, you can have Jesus as Savior, and then, but at a later date, you accept Him as Lord. Or have you accepted Jesus as Lord or just as Savior? And there, there was this idea of accepting Jesus as Savior, but you haven't yet accepted Him as Lord. Let me just say to you, that's whack. That's like schizo Jesus thing, okay? I heard it a lot growing up. Okay, there's only one Jesus, and he is Savior. He is Lord. Let me explain why. You, we talked about repentance a few weeks ago, right? I'm, I'm walking my path. I'm doing my thing. I'm kind of God in my own life, if you will, making my own decisions, sitting on the throne of my own heart, just leading my life. And I come to that place where I recognize my sin. I recognize that my leadership has not been good. I recognize that I've hurt God. I've hurt other people. I've hurt myself, and I repent you understand repentance is the first act of lordship because i'm choosing his way over my way i'm saying i don't want to be in charge anymore jesus repentance in itself the very act of repentance which is essential to our salvation is an act of saying god i want to be on the altar i want to be yours i don't want to lead my own life anymore i trust you more than i trust me and it's a really wise decision see being set apart Recognize my life's not my own. I'm now following Jesus. I'm his. And, and this affects every single area of our life. I, I look at everything differently. Relationships. Relationships. When, when I'm dealing with someone in a relationship, and it can be my wife, it can be my kids, it can be people I work with here, people I deal with in the community, do business with. What I go into those, t- often I find myself in a conversation or something, and all I'm thinking about is my, my purpose, my will, my desire in this. And all of a sudden, I realize, whoa, 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 time out, I'm his. <laughs> my life's not my own. What is God's purpose for this person? What is God's thought for them? Business, you know, and it, you, you're like, well, you're a pastor. Of course, it's easy with your business. Eh, no. We got all kinds of just regular business to take care of. What is God's purpose in it? At your work, 
this, this week. There's going to be all kinds of things you deal with. There's going to be contracts you have to deal with. There's going to be projects you have to deal with. There's going to be sales. There's going to be customers. All the stuff you have to deal with. When you realize my life's not my own, I'm all about him and his purpose. Okay, God, what are you doing? What do you want to do in this? This affects every single area of our lives. How I deal with my money. God, you want me to live in this neighborhood? You want me to live in that neighborhood? God, you want me to drive this car? You want me to drive that car? God, you want me to invest in this? You want me to invest in that? God, you want me to be generous here? Do you want me to be generous here? All of it. Because my life's not my own. I'm his. Calling isn't just an invitation to serve. It is the declaration that I am set apart as his. It changes how we make decisions. It changes how we live. A second thing that Romans 12 shows us is being set apart is my response of worship. It is my response of worship. You remember what Paul said? Beseech you, I urge you to be a living sacrifices. Present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing. And what do you say? This is your true and proper worship. It is your true and proper worship. Folks, I have been a music minister. I'm a musician. I love worship. I've led worship lots. I mean, it's awesome. But worship in the songs. Okay? You got that? You know, I love how, I love how people will ask me, you know, you know, they'll ask about the service. Oh, how was the worship? How was worship? Was worship good? I'm like, I don't know. I really don't know because it's up to what's in everybody's heart. Worship is what you put first in your heart. Our word worship comes from an old English word that means to ascribe worth to. It's like worth-ship. What's first? What's first? That's what worship is about. Understand, singing songs together as a congregation is biblical. New Testament tells us sing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. It's a biblical thing. I love it. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's probably better described as the expression of our worship the declaration of our worship. But worship is that place where I'm a living sacrifice. That's what the scripture says. Present my body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing. That's my true and proper worship. See, worship is a heart that belongs to him and is fully surrendered to him. It's interesting. In the study called hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the study of drawing truth from Scripture, how you, how you draw truth from the Scripture and how you kind of deal with that truth. Okay? In that study, there's something called the law first mentioned. And what it says is that the first time a word or big concept is presented in Scripture is usually very significant. And just theologians have looked and they've noticed a pattern. The first time those big topics arise, there's something very significant about that. The Spirit is setting the stage. He's kind of setting something up. You know where the first mention of the word worship is? Some of you guys, I see some of you, a couple of you nodding, you know where that is. It's in Genesis chapter 22. Well, you remember what happened in Genesis 22? Abraham, man who it says he believed and it was reckoned him as righteousness. Well, you remember God made a promise to him. He said, I'm going to make you a great nation. Problem is Abraham's like, well, but I'm old. My wife is old. We haven't been able to have any kids. Kind of unlikely. And God says, no, I'm going to do it. And it was so unlikely, you remember his wife Sarah laughed? But God did it anyway, and he didn't kill Sarah over it, so, you know. <clears throat> but it was one of those things where it was, a, it, was a, it was a very unlikely thing, but God did it, and they had a little boy, and his name was Isaac. And can you imagine how much this old man and his wife loved that little boy? Not only was he the beloved child of their old age, but the promises of God all were brought to fruition in this boy. 
And so one day God, we guesstimate the boy's around maybe 12 years old. He, uh, God says to him, oh, Abraham, I-, I want you to take your son Isaac to Mount Moriah, your only son, the son you love. I want you to take him and I want you to sacrifice him there to me. And, and Abraham knew exactly what God was talking about. It wasn't symbolic. It wasn't anything like that. Scripture says early the next day he got up. Let me just tell you, that's something I could have procrastinated. I could have put that one off. Okay? Did God really mean that? I got to pray about this more. You know? The Bible says Abraham got up early the next day, and he, and he went. And what's interesting is they get to the base of the mountain where God has instructed him to sacrifice his son, and this is what Abraham says. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkeys while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we'll come back to you. And that's the first time we see this word in the scripture. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. What faith, huh? Because the plan on a sacrifice, remember the altar always wins, it always kills. Well, you know the story. Abraham gets up, and literally they, they have everything. Isaac is old enough to carry the wood, all right? So that's why they think he's at least 12 years old. He's carrying the wood for the sacrifice. And he notices to his dad, he says, hey, dad, um, we've got the knife, we've got the wood, we've even got the stuff for the fire. Uh, Where's the sacrifice? And remember, Abraham says, the Lord will provide, son. The Lord will provide. And of course, he gets up there, he binds his son, ties him up, puts him on this altar he makes. And he raises the knife. And I mean, different ones have written. Kierkegaard even wrote about the insanity that this old man who loved his son must have been feeling. But the scripture tells us he goes and he begins to lower the knife and God stops him. He says, now I know that you fear me. What's interesting, God's omniscient. I think God already knew, but now Abraham knew. See, it's, it's not easy when God has to remove those things that threaten to become an idol. Do you know anything that becomes an idol in our heart, even a person, it is now be destructive to us and we become destructive to them. That's what happens. God had to remove Isaac from the throne of Abraham's heart. And that's how he did it. And, and the scripture says he did provide. He did provide a sacrifice. And that's the first place where we learn about worship. See, that's worship. Worship is a heart that is fully surrendered to him with no idols. What is first in your heart? What's first in mine? The declaration that I'm set apart as his is ultimately the issue of worship. Do I trust him enough to say, Lord, I'm yours, and I trust you with my life? Am I willing to be that living sacrifice and live in that place and trust him and say, Lord, I know my joy, my hopes, everything can only be found in you. And so I'm willing to be that sacrifice that is holy under the Lord. means I don't ever get to claim volunteer status. I don't get to pick and choose. It means my calling is not just an invitation to serve. My calling is a declaration that I'm set apart as his. And of course, and we touched on this earlier, but I want you to write it down. Being set apart means living for his purpose. It means living for his purpose. Remember the second part of that Romans 12 passage? Look what he said. He said, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Now, he talked about living sacrifice, talked about your true and proper worship. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Scripture says we, when we are in Christ, we have the mind of Christ. The spirit, his spirit in us gives us the mind of Christ. 
then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is or his purpose is, his good, pleasing, perfect will. You'll understand his purpose. You'll understand his calling. When we develop the mind of Christ, it changes. And let me tell you something, let me tell you something that Christ does in us. And it connects back to this idea of the burning coal. Luke 3.16, this is John the Baptist talking. And he's addressing people. He says, he answered them, he says, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. Look, talk about Jesus. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and what? And fire. The fire of the altar. Purging our sin. Cleansing us. And identifying us as his. See, that's what Jesus does. He comes in and piece by piece he begins removing all those things that are distractions, hindrances to God's purpose and his plan. When I have the mind of Christ, I begin to see the whole world differently. I see my life differently. His purpose becomes my purpose. In my relationships, in my work, my calling with my family, every single area. I'm about what he's about because I am his. Calling isn't just an invitation to serve. It is the declaration that I am set apart as his. That's Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio. And if you'd like to hear this full message in this series that's called Called, Here Am I, Send Me. It's available right now on demand at reallife.org. And while you're there, we'd appreciate your feedback. You can leave us a note on our Contact Us page. Or even better, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue. Find that Give tab at reallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road right behind Rotama Park, next to the Real Life Amphitheater. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262. As Reaching for Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church, we hope you join us again next time as you travel the road to real life.